Hello, welcome to the first episode of a new series I'm doing called Firm Returns Weekly. So I've just started a, a new newsletter um, by due to popular demand. Um, and this is going to be just a quick summary of some events that have happened with companies that are in my uh, portfolio. So things like um, this, which we'll get onto this week, it would be release of a game from Tiny Build, for instance, or uh, some other earning event from a company, or we've had like a movie release from Warner Bros. Discovery to mention as well. So we're going to go through some of these kind of things. Also, just sort of any other general news, so appearances perhaps if I've, if I've been on other podcasts or if... Uh, some other some other project I'm working on, so um, it will get onto something else that I've started working on at the end of the episode. But yeah, let's um, I'll just so yeah, this this will be a video series here, and then also do an audio version, um, audio only version, which I'll put out as a as a podcast. So let me just um, share my screen here. Here we are. So yeah, this is the, the first edition. As you can see here, it will be under the weekly updates tab, and then it will go out as a as a separate newsletter if you do subscribe as well. Um, and with that as well, I just want to make a point that these sort of three separate uh, pages I've got here, each one you can actually independently subscribe or unsubscribe to. Oh, in um in your account settings so you just go here i'm not i'm not signed in here but if I, if you were to be signed in you can go in and you just literally one little tick box to opt in or opt out of these ones everyone's been automatically enrolled into the that's currently subscribed into the weekly updates one um but yeah if you if you decide you don't want this and you just want to get the stock analysis just you can just choose to subscribe to this or the portfolio updates and, and opt out of this new one. So just just so that people know. Right, so let's get going. So um, again, it's going to be pretty short compared to the normal podcast. I'm just going to quickly go through one of these few news items. So first of all, we had the release of Punch Club 2 Fast Forward from a tiny build so i've said here the game got off to a great start after its release on the 20th of july appearing at the top of the trending games list on steam for much of the first week and spending several days in the top 40 best sellers on the platform i think i at least saw it in like 36th place or maybe higher when in the first few days um, but i didn't get a screenshot then unfortunately <laughs> um i think i got one when it was on the 40th but um which was like a four, four or so days after the release. Um, but yeah, you can see here in this picture, right at the top of the list with a, a good number of concurrent players. So the peak player count was 5,509 on the 22nd of July. And since then, it's held up reasonably well with daily peaks consistently above 2,000. So you can see here, got a nice peak up here at 5,509. Um, and it held up pretty you know, well over the weekend and now kind of down. 
We'll have to see. I mean, I don't know whether I'll have to have a quick look at this graph again. It might be that we've gone back up again. It was sort of like a, a trend down because of the going through the midweek and there might be a another rise as we get into the weekend. Um, but yeah, it's still holding up really well. I mean, and, and compared to a lot of other games, it's, um, it'll still be above 2,000. So on is, is great. And that early peak is um, it's particularly particularly impressive. So follower numbers have grown rapidly since release and are now in excess of 11,000. So yeah, we can see this is a follower chart. So it's kind of around about, I want to say 6,000 or something just before the release. And now it's heading up and it's it's pretty close to 12,000 actually. It might, it might do it in the next few days. So so yeah, we've had a almost a doubling of the follower numbers, which is good. And just hope that keeps tracking upwards. Um, and then finally, the the game currently has 1,025 reviews, of which 79.9% are positive, which I think qualifies it to be classified or shown as very, it's certainly shown as very positive on, on Steam, which is just good. Um, it should also be noted that the game released simultaneously on PC, Xbox, PlayStation and Switch. So the numbers we've referenced above will only represent a portion of the overall picture. Right, so moving moving on. Something else I found quite interesting this week was a post-mortem of Hello Neighbor 2 presented by Alex Nishi-Porshik, the company's CEO at the DevGam conference in Vilnius, Lithuania. It gives you a real insight into the Hello Neighbor franchise and the challenges faced in developing Hello Neighbor 2 that ultimately contributed to its lackluster performance. So yeah, I've got a, the video embedded here, so you can uh, have a look at that. Um, it's over on over on YouTube, on the DevGam YouTube channel. Yeah, it's quite quite a good one. Um, quite a lot of, I did learn quite a bit about the, just uh, the infrastructure they've kind of built up around. They had to get in place to really expand after the initial uh, success of the first game they really just expanded out and, and got a lot of different things in the works but they had to build up quite a substantial team to do it and then were hit by a lot of um, issues as you went into the pandemic and then also um, some of the teams working on the game were of course uh, were impacted by the, the Ukraine-Russia conflict and had to be relocated and so on so yeah it just it ended up being they had to kind of roll back expectations a little bit. It is the sort of brief summary. They had they they put out a initial trailer for a game, and then the 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 really excited fans, and then it ended up having to be rolled back a little bit the ambitions of it. And it and the game that came out finally was, um, uh, yeah, a, a quite different game to what was advertised in the trailer. So yeah, it was um. It's unfortunate, but I think they uh, there were some key takeaways, and and it still uh, it still gave. I mean, the good thing was that it, it was technically perfect in terms of the release went very smoothly. There weren't there wasn't really any bugs or anything like that to deal with. It was technically and across it went across all platforms. So that was the proof. It was literally just to. The game mechanics which they had to roll back a bit and um they had some interesting so some challenging things as well like they had to make a choice about 
the initial game concept they were going for would have been very in, computationally intensive. And so because they were thinking they wanted to put the game out onto less powerful devices like um, uh, iPads and iPhones or whatever, iOS operating systems, they had to take that into account and they were thinking they had to make a choice. Do we want to have a effectively cut out a key audience for the for the game for some of these consoles and stuff like that and it potentially wouldn't have worked on the switch as well or do we want to cut out some of these some of our key audience or do we want to roll, wind back some of the uh computational requirements of the game a little make it a little less ambitious so i think it was because they were having the original concept, like I say, I recommend watching the video, but the original concept was to have like an AI that followed you around a more sort of open world map and was sort of stalking you. And that that kind of uh, having the AI learning and stuff like that and following you around um, wherever you go was uh, was going to be quite challenging um, computationally. So, yeah, it was going to it's going to require quite a lot of power. To do that, which was going to become a problem for some of the things, but yeah, it was a yeah. I mean, I I really quite like the look of the, the initial uh, alpha release trailer they they put out. It did look quite quite scary and quite good. Um, so and then, like I say, the final game wasn't anything like that. So I can kind of I can see why the fans were um throwing a little bit and were felt a little bit hard done by. But, but anyway, yeah, very interesting talks and and it just gives you a good idea of just generally the whole infrastructure that's been built up the development porting everything like that that's all been put in place um to support that franchise and can be deployed to other franchises and so on yeah it's quite interesting just from a, a business point of view as well so yeah, um next on the tiny build we had uh i'm going to mention a little bit something about iron future so last weekend I participated in a playtest for I Am Future prior to its release in early access on the 8th of August. I can't disclose any details about the game at this point, but I can say it was very polished and kept me thoroughly entertained for the three or four hours I had before, um, well, the three or four hours I had to play it. So after playing it, I was not surprised to learn that it had been developed by one of the original creators of Graveyard Keeper, hit success within the genre that still has daily player counts in excess of 2000 five years after its release this is uh steam of course so overall things are looking promising for a strong launch so yeah it did look quite promising um from what i when i played of it like i said i can't disclose anything more but um but yeah very uh, very encouraging very high quality game very polished. So yeah, all right. Finally, on Tiny Build, I wanted to mention that the share the share price movement we've seen since the release of my write up on the eighteenth. So the price has risen around about forty percent to thirteen point seven five pence, and uh, the shares are still incredibly cheap and a long way from their price just two months ago, but the recent share price growth does demonstrate that the impact of an illiquidity on price works both ways. So yeah, I've got a graph here just showing you the percent taken from the 
London Stock Exchange website, showing you just a percentage change over the last couple of weeks and then the percentage change over the last couple of months. So you can see it's still very dramatically down, something like 75% down over two months, but it's 40% uh, up over two weeks. So yeah, we're making some some inroads, but still plenty of uh, plenty of margin there to be plenty of discount to be buying it now. And it, I, I quite likely will add something in the future. I'm just in the process of rebuilding my cash reserves after diving in, <laughs> sourcing some cash to get it at um, when it dropped right down here after the. I think I got it around about eight pence a share or something like that was the price I was able to buy that. And then I bought more when it was around about 10 pence. So, so yeah, it's uh, still happy to buy, but very happy to buy at this price. Right. So moving on to Warner Bros. Discovery. We'll start off by looking at some news on the strikes. So strikes are becoming an increasingly impactful uh, well, sorry, strikes are becoming increasingly impactful with production of many new projects being halted due to actor, the Actors' Union now voting to join the Writers' Guild in strike action. And then I've given here a link to an article that I found particularly informative. So let's just have a quick look, see if we can see. Oh, didn't really want to do that. Mm. Um yeah, so there's an article from The Telegraph that was quite good. Um, going into all the the details of it and talking about the different sort of guild um, writers, the actors, so on, which gives you a lot of details about different films that have been impacted. One that I was quite concerned about as a, as a film viewer was that um, the sequel to The Gladiator is being filmed in Cyprus right now, I think, and uh, that production on that is completely halted. Um, which is pretty pretty sad news. Hopefully that's still that we haven't got. Um, you know, Ridley Scott's getting pretty old now. It'd be not that much more time for him to to get that sequel out. Um, but yeah, so it's certainly having a wide uh, and far-reaching impact. And now with the actors going on strike as well, it basically makes production impossible. So where before perhaps they would have with the writers on strike, they would have kept on going with some films and just UN ended up having some uh, movies that had questionable plot <laughs> elements and stuff because there wasn't there weren't really any uh, writers working on it uh, once it started production. We're now in a situation where there's not even any actors. So uh, yeah, film filming is having to completely cease on these ones. Um. But yeah, some things were one small positive I saw was I think um, didn't impact the I don't think the the the, the acting sort of strikes impact some of the British actors. So because House of the Dragon is being filmed in the UK, I think it mainly in Northern Ireland, though, um, because it's being filmed there, it's effectively. It seems to be that they're able to continue production on the second season of that. So that's a, a small silver lining for um. But it, I think, a, an impact that was highlighted in the article was that 
we're going to see a lot more reality TV and uh, and unscripted stuff coming out because yeah, the scripted stuff is certainly being heavily heavily disrupted with all the the actors and what have you. So expect a lot more reality TV to be coming onto your uh, onto your um, streaming services in the in the next year or so. Right, so next we have Barbie. So Barbie had an excellent opening weekend and is looking like one of the biggest releases this year. You can see from the chart below that it is currently on a steeper sales trajectory than the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is the most successful release of the year so far. So yeah, you can see I've got a few different uh, references here. So I've got the Super Mario Brothers movie, which this is um, showing... Daily cumulative domestic box office sales. So Super Mario Brothers comfortably going above, um, we're getting cut. Yeah, sort of did about 500. And, let's have a look. It might have it. Yeah, it did 574 million in domestic box office. So that's just the US box office um, in total. And it, uh, yeah, and um, Barbie is actually on a steeper trajectory than it was currently. So I have to see how it does after this second weekend if it still can keep the trajectory going. But, but yeah, we looks like we could be looking at a similar kind of number, maybe five hundred million plus, um, just from the US sales. And then I mean, worldwide box office for Super Mario, uh, Super Mario Brothers, we got uh, was one. 0.355 billion so yeah really smash it and it looks like it's similar budget for the production i think barbie's had a lot of marketing spend though so uh, it certainly has felt like it um so perhaps the the overall uh spend was a bit more but quite an interesting thing actually to look at is the performance so you've got guardians of the galaxy Vol volume three and uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse both came out this year as well. They had a really good initial run, but still um, not as steep as Barbie movie. And they actually started to drop off quite a bit earlier. Neither of them managed to get over the 400 million mark. And was quite, well, yeah, it's looking like they won't. Spider-Man Spider across the Spider-Verse is not quite there but it's a bit higher but um but yeah they they didn't do anywhere near as well as super mario brothers movie did overall um in, in the end started off similarly well uh but then kind of tapered off pretty well but the really quite shocking one to me actually um was when you look at mission impossible dead reckoning part one and that is it's really done nowhere near as good the the launch trajectory has been high but What's kind of interesting is that actually had the, the largest budget of all of these movies here, a $290 million production budget. And in its opening weekend, just to give a comparison here, it only did $54.7 million in um in in revenue in that in sales in that first opening weekend in, in the US. And when you put that into perspective, you've got Barbie, which had again a production budget of about 100 million, 
and in its opening weekend in the US, it did 162 million. And um, comparatively, we've got Super Mario Brothers did 146.4, uh, Spider Man did 120.7, and Guardians of the Galaxy did 118.4. So, yeah, you can just see it's that Mission Impossible is like a third of Barbie, pretty much, and about you know less than half of the of the other movies we that we've referenced. So yeah, it's it's quite interesting that I, I really was a bit shocked. I thought that was going to be a much bigger bigger hit. Um, having said that, uh, the international box office has been very good for that one. So even though it hasn't done as well in the US. Um, worldwide, it's now three hundred and eighty million. So, yes, it was like a week. It's a week ahead of Barbie. Um, but Barbie's on four hundred and fifty-two point two million international after basically a week of being out, and um, after two weeks of being out, it's it's still still nowhere near as good. But um, but yeah, the, it just shows you that it does seem to be a much larger share is coming from the international box office. Which kind of makes sense because I mean it was filmed in I believe it was filmed in lots of European locations and stuff like that for instance so could widen its appeal yeah still quite shocking that how low the how low the interest was for that film in the US yeah really really quite surprising especially when you think about how crazy well Top did it was like shot the lights out um I think it did did pretty close to a pretty close to a billion just in the US. That's all the uh national pride stuff for the US. Um but anyway. Right, so that's yeah, that's that rounds off the Warner Brothers Discovery. So we move on to Fuller Smith and Turner. So um Fuller's announced on the twenty first of July that they will be commencing a share buyback program for up to one million shares in an effort to close the gap between share price and underlying value from a capital allocation standpoint it's the most rational course of action since the alternative would be to use the cash to purchase new properties and a market price effectively doubles that of the company's existing properties so yeah that's um it's been quite a positive mark in, in management's favor I, I i didn't actually get to attend the agm for this one um because it clashed with something else but it would have been it's a question I would have brought up at the AGM, and it turns out they they basically did exactly what I was going to propose anyway. So it's good, and it could. I mean, at the current share price, this is going to work out to be if they did buy back a million shares, it'd be about a six million, roughly six million pound um, return effectively to shareholders. But if we they're only because of the liquidity in the stock, it's pretty crazy. They're only able to buy like ten to twenty thousand shares a day. Um, because they I think they're limited to doing about a quarter of a, the volume of the of the of the daily volume. So um just from the, the rules of share buyback programs. So I guess we haven't seen a great deal of movement in the first um in the first week, I guess. But I I do I mean there was also a share option issuance or something like that around a similar 
that occurred in the last week as well. So I don't know whether, but I doubt those are going to be immediately sold. Maybe who knows? But um, oh well, that, that would have been disclosed if they had been. But uh, so I don't think they have been. But uh, but yeah, in terms of just liquidity, I guess there's still a bit of slack in there at the moment, even though it doesn't trade many shares each day. Um, so yeah, it's as that start maybe as that starts to dry up and we start to lose um sellers the pool of sellers for the shares starts to decrease we'll start to see some share price appreciation i mean it's going to take them a fair fair few weeks to to complete the buyback program of just a million shares if they are doing it sort of 10 20,000 a day so yeah it could be be interesting but i think um yeah, the point I was trying to make was if we do start to get the share price going up as they're buying them back, which I guess is their intention, then either they'll spend more or they'll hit their budgeted amount and and buy back less shares. So they, I don't they didn't disclose exactly what the budgeted amount was, but um, yeah, they maybe the share price goes up enough they'll they'll stop buying. Because they'll have said, right, that's all this all we were planning to spend. Um and I'll say yeah, so I mean the share price has actually gone up quite a bit since um I did my initial write up on for the Smith and Turner as well. I think it's up about twenty percent. Um not maybe not quite twenty percent. Uh it's about twenty percent from my average price, but I think I it went down initially, so I did average down a bit. But it's close to it's around about six pounds a share now. And I, I did a write up, I think it was five pounds fourteen or something. So yeah, it's still still appreciated quite nicely. And yeah, hopefully this share and we've had a dividend this one as well. Hopefully the share buy buyback program will help to close that gap a little bit more. So next we've got, I mean, it's been it's been a pretty busy week for updates from companies, as you might expect with it being sort of earning season and stuff, but there's a few other completely un. I mean, some of these things are completely unrelated to earnings releases. So it's just quite a busy week across the portfolio for news. So next, we've got some news from Ecora Resources. So Ecora Resources announced on 24th of July that it has acquired a 0.25% net smelter return or NSR royalty over the Vizcachitas copper project in Chile for a total cash consideration of $20 million. The mine life is estimated to be a minimum of 26 years with considerable potential for extension and production is expected to commence in 2029. And they have some sort of contingencies in place as well where the rate um, they are able to charge or the, the, the percentage goes up by like point. 05 or 0.1% for like every year after the, the every year of delay or something like that, or they have to be paid. Uh, either that happens or they get paid back like five or $10 million for each year or something like that. So they basically will get there. There's contingencies in place to, to de-risk it a bit. So if the product is delayed or doesn't go ahead as planned, they'll get money back or they'll get increased future returns. It's a bit like they had for um uh I'm trying to think. I think it 
I can't remember that bit, but they the possibly um Mantas Blancos. Oh maybe I, I might be going wrong. But anyway, the, the nickel, the copper nickel mine they have in in I think also no, I think that was Brazil. Potentially, yeah. But anyway, that that particular project, they have similar contingencies in place where, and I think they now have, are getting a higher percentage rate because it was delayed by a certain percentage. But I might be misremembering which one it is. But yeah, th there's plenty of they have examples of this. But as far as I understand as well, this is a a primer, a a direct first party primary tran transaction. So they're they're directly giving the money to the to the operator of the mine as so uh, there's not they're not buying an existing royalty off someone else. Um so yeah, it's a, just shows the company does have a, a real mix of these kind of relationships. One thing that was also quite interesting is I believe the um people who set up the funding for this was um RBC, Royal Bank of Canada. And I know that there's some members of the board of um possibly even the chairman i think of Ecora resources that have a past of working for uh rbc and I, th I think yeah either working for them or working with them or something like that i think it was working working for them for quite a number of years so yeah that's obviously a um demonstrating the value of some of the the board members here to have helped set up this deal um but yeah i've just then given a rough estimate of um potentially what the this royalty could translate to so as a rough estimate using the current copper price and estimated average annual copper production of 153 kilotons the royalty would generate approximately three million dollars for ecora annually this alone would be a good return over 26 years. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be a pretty, pretty tidy multiple of the original investment. But it could be much higher if copper prices rise as anticipated. So yeah, good news from Ecora there that they're able to continue deploying capital. And there's also that other 70 million that they're potentially going to be able to do in that um, copper nickel project that I've just mentioned before. So we've next got Taylor Maritime Investments. So on the 27th of July, TMI released its annual report for the year ended 31st of March 2023. And then a day later, it's Q1 trading update. So um, yeah, I'm not going to go into any details about that now, but I just I had a quick look through them both. And um, yeah, it's uh, Increasing complexity, and I do need to do quite a bit of work on this to re-underwrite my my position, I think. Um, and I've said as much as I've said, this is certainly a company I need to do some more work on as it has become increasingly complex post the Grindrod acquisition. I'm also considering traveling to Guernsey, to, which is where the company is um, headquartered, to attend the AGM as from a brief look through the annual report, I think I'll have plenty of questions. In any case, you can expect a new write-up from me on the company soon. So, yeah, it's, I mean, the shipping market generally has been a bit depressed. Their rates seem to be holding up above that, but they're still come down quite a bit. 
they're focusing on deleveraging the company after taking on a low debt to do the grind rod acquisition. Some of that's happening by them selling uh, ships in the fleet, and then other parts of it is they're transferring. They're just they're doing. Um, I think they've changed the capital rules for um, or the capital structure for. Grindrod, and they're going to release some of the capital from the company to pick up to pass back to well to all shareholders. But TMI now owns, I think, eighty six percent or eighty seven percent of the company, so pretty much most of it is is coming back to them. Um, and they'll be taking that cash back to pay down the debt that's sitting on TMI's balance sheet. But it's all quite complex because um, everything, all the earnings you see in TMI are all just dividends because all of the uh, assets, all of the debts, everything are all held in subsidiary companies. Um, each boat, each ship in the fleet has its own SPV, um, which I think is a special purpose vehicle, um, which basically just means that the liabilities are there. I don't know what, what kind of look through um basis they have but it means they basically don't pay any tax because all these boats that are red that are individual companies as i say like spvs that are all registered in uh panama and other sort of tax havens and so it means that and then obviously guernsey is a very low tax area as well for the parent company so yeah you're basically not the company doesn't really have to worry about tax let's put it that way but um but yeah, it does complicate things, and it means I need I want to really have a dig in and try and. And this is given the company has only been around for a couple of years now. Um, this is probably the first annual report where you're really going to get a lot of detail about kind of what the operation looked like. The first um, year's results were really skewed by the fact that they were just deploying the IPO proceeds and and acquiring a fleet of ships, which then almost immediately appreciated in value because they were buying them at a given price and then the value went up quite a bit. The value has actually come down a little bit now. So I think it was a hundred and so in the Q1 trading update, they reported that previously at the time of the annual report, I think it was like 170 or 172, oh, sorry, $1.72, $1.7 per share. It's now come down a bit to $1.56. The shares are still trading below a dollar a share, so it's still a massive um, discount. But yeah, it's coming down a little bit. Things are softening. I think the yield, because of the the daily rate coming down, the yield's gone from like just in the time of the annual report, it was like seventeen and a half percent gross cash yield on the fleet, down to now some like seven and a half percent. So they're just showing you that operational leverage there coming into play as the rates have fallen um but they've locked in some, some longer term rates that are at a, a pretty positive price and yeah and the debt is being paid down by them still being able to uh sell as but the thing i really want to just get to re real grips with is just thinking uh just not not so much worried about the concept of the fleet value going up or whatever, um, which is how they've had a lot of the gains from last year. Uh, 
though I mean the operations did charter rates were crazy high for quite a bit, I think of twenty twenty one. Um so they did get a real massive I mean it was like crazy yield at one point, like thirty five percent or something yield on the fleet. Um but yeah, I want to know really how they're planning to what the picture is going to look like for them increasing the the cash flow from operations, the actual um, the dividends effectively they're getting paid because that's the way that's the format it comes in. But the dividends they're getting paid from the fleet uh, that's the real cash that can then be distributed to shareholders, and they have to pay out uh, quite a big percentage of the cash they, that they generate from operations um, just because of their investment trust sort of structure that means they they have to pay on a it's kind of like a pass-through regulation for it so they have to pay out a lot of the a lot of the stuff they're going which is why they were able to i mean the yield when they did have their boon let's say um so they originally were on seven cents a share was the payout when they first ipo that would have been a seven percent yield and then paid it quarterly split into four Pay quarterly now. Then they raised it to eight cents a share, so an eight percent yield of that. But um, think, but like I say, below a dollar a share now. And then you've got uh, when they did the spec, they did a special dividend as well, and it worked out being something like eleven and a half or eleven point three cents a share. So you're getting like eleven plus percent yield on the shares, um, which is pretty great. And now, like I say, the dividend is now. They're pretty comfortable with the eight cents a share level, so you're still getting that's a pretty stable return again there. And then I think, but I would just want to know how they're plan how they're from this point. Is it just a case of them paying down the debt, and then automatically they're going to get a bigger? They're not paying debt interest anymore, so they've got more operating cash flow from there. What what are they going to be doing to to continue to grow that operating? Uh, cash flow um so yeah that's kind of the stuff i want to i want to have a look at and potentially i'm going to if i went to the agm i think i'd that's not, but there's a lot to delve into like i say because of the complexities of the corporate structure and so on um so i'm sure i'll have plenty of questions if i do decide to go but yeah so i then just wanted to mention that um last weekend I, I made an appearance on the punch card investing podcast um with uh jack duffley hosting it um and then the topic we discussed was how to evaluate management so yeah i think it was a it's a pretty good discussion I, I certainly had a good time on there um uh we sort of the topic was like i say management i came with a, a whole list of uh a different talking points well that, well that shows up uh not really focusing all right um yeah i came along with a whole list of of talking points for it and um about various sort of topics so what we were talking about alignment with shareholders how we evaluate performance so um relationships to stakeholders also yeah a, a big Range of, range of topics and it was kind of good because i think we were able to tie it into a lot of examples of different companies i reference companies um i own in my portfolio and stuff like that and 
and past companies and we'd referenced some other sort of big names and so on so yeah it's, it was an interesting one and i think quite a few uh sort of case study examples in there and stuff like that as well so yeah give that a look if um if that sounds of interest um yeah and then finally i wanted to mention um uh, an exercise i'm currently undertaking to source new ideas so i filtered down all the companies in the london stock exchange to leave just those with a market capitalization between 20 million and 1 billion dollars which equates to roughly 650 companies that's also stripping out all the you know funds and what have you that still get are still listed on and trusts and so on they're just listed on the the market so anything that was like the industry was capital markets or something i basically excluded those uh, which still leaves like real estate investment trusts and things like that so it's not um fully stripping out everything but um uh, but yeah i've started working through them one by one uh to create a short list of ideas for future studies so um so yeah i'm just basically going through them all one at a time and some of them you can just quickly say oh well that's crazy overvalued or that one's um really uh doesn't look great it's had just declining uh revenues for for years and it's um loads of debt or whatever kind of stuff you can often just exclude them fairly quickly but some of them have, i mean have been some quite interesting ideas just just already i mean i've done about fifth i think i've been through about 15 in the first quick session i did of a an hour or so um and i picked out four that were quite quite interesting something that i kind of like to see is situations where it's cheap or it looks cheap but there's some complexity and often the complexity is what's causing it to be cheap rather than there being some other real fundamental issue with the business it's just a case of it's kind of too hard it takes a lot of work to to get you if there's a lot of uncertainty because of the complexity introduced but if you can actually try and delve into it and put the work in and understand it you can actually get to a position where the uncertainty for you from your perspective decreases significantly as has kind of been the case with a lot of the companies i'm actually invested in like um Warner Brothers Discovery is an example there. Lots of uncertainty, just looking at a quick glance from the outside, and most people sort of see it. They look at the debt or what have you kind of stuff. And then having put in some work, I was kind of able to reach a point where I was, the uncertainty decreased enough to create a uh, a real margin between um, what I think the, the real value is and the, and the share price. And um, yeah, so uh, my plan is to... To, as a little segment at the the bottom of the of the article each each week or uh, in these videos is to sort of just mention any that have pulled out in the last week that have been looked like a potentially interesting ones to interesting enough to be put on the shortlist. So the first one was uh, Volution Group PLC ticker FAN fan. Uh, so I said it was a little too expensive from a first glance, um, but it was profitable and growing, so it could be worth a look. I think I had a pretty good you know, growth curve on there, um, which is why it was perhaps a little bit expensive. But you need, that's what I was saying, you'd need to have a little bit more work to try and determine what's the growth going to look like, and maybe that's still fair price. Um, then we had Ready Northgate PLC, Red. 
R-E-D-D. So this was cheap, but I had a fair amount of debt and some other complications. So potentially another one where you could, you, one where you could delve into a little bit and and find the hidden value there. Um, and then you've got the next I saw was Conduit Holdings Limited, CRE. So this was cheap, another one that was cheap, but with complexities. And finally, TI Fluid Systems PLC, ticker TIFS. So this was complex again, but really damn cheap on 2019 free cash flow numbers. So, so yeah, was, I'll um I'll continue to add new additions to this shortlist um in the coming weeks. Sort of st stay tuned for that. But yeah, there's some interesting interesting ideas already. So it just shows you the value of potentially of of just going through. And really just looking through them one by one because some things you try and do is just a screener on some valuation multiple or things like that or whatever and you end up um filtering out companies that are having going through some complicated situation like that it's like for instance aviva i mean depending on what kind of metric you did but if you did it on some kind of earnings basis um it looks quite expensive on the on ifrs sort of earnings but that's just a that's just a function of um movements in the market value of their assets and stuff like that, which don't doesn't really translate to um their operations at all. And what's interesting as well from that point of view is I mean that because they're unlike banks where there's the whole situation of they've got these marketable securities that fluctuate um in prices in the markets, but they also have a deposit base that can flee and then they have to mark those assets to market with an insurance company. It's not really something you have to, to worry about because um, particularly life insurance where they're matching them effectively to the duration of people's pensions and so on, as long as the, as long as there aren't really dramatic movements in life expectancy, which across the whole, a big insurer like Aviva, for instance, you could, it averages out and they can be pretty damn certain what it's going to be on average across their portfolio um for a lot of these different things it it makes it an interesting uh it makes it a situation where they're pretty pretty predictable and they the assets they've got in place will cover those things and it just means that prices going uh what interest rates or whatever going up the returns on securities going up ends up being a positive for the future because it means they can get a much better uh, return on the future insurance contracts and so on. They, they're right to future annuities and what have you, they, they issue. Um, and it still doesn't really affect the past ones because they've structured it to send the duration of the bonds or whatever um, matches the duration of the annuities or whatever the kind of... Um, insurance claims or contracts they have in place. Oh, yeah, and just to mention that Conduit Holdings Limited, I believe, was another insurer, which caught my eye. That's quite interesting. Um, fairly newly listed, but it did look to see it did seem to be a pretty pretty interesting one to have have a look at. Um so yeah. But anyway, I think that pretty much wraps it up here. So yeah, you can read the article yourself on com, as I said. 
and it's just under this weekly updates tab. Yeah, and if you subscribe um, for free or entirely for free to the newsletter, you'll you can turn this one on and get these coming into your inbox directly each week. Um, and again, it'd be great if you want to subscribe to the YouTube channel, so you get these in as well, and give the video a like. See if we can get a little bit of channel growth. That'd be great. And and if you listen to the podcast, yeah, I, I guess I think there's um ways to do ratings on various podcast platforms as well so that'd be that would be great yeah and i mean feel free to share it around as well it'd be um be great to have a few people share it on social media or whatever anyway yeah i'll um i'll get back to you with the next uh, episode next week so, so.